a lot of these folks who had gone through a pre-ranger program almost right before ranger school. So from my perspective, they were almost coming in broken. Like they were, they were beat down, you know, exactly like you said, they had units who had, you know, they, they wanted to prove, Hey, I got a tab. I got to show you, you know, I'm, I'm not badge protectors maybe in some, in some degree. And so absolutely you have a lot of units that probably run suboptimal pre-ranger training programs that intentionally break people down. Welcome back to Mops and Mo's. Another week here with Drew and Alex. And I know that after last week's episode, specifically last week's episode's introduction, there was a cliffhanger. People were interested. Everyone is dying to hear about Dolly Parton. And I will say that due to the fact that we recorded that episode actually quite a while ago and then played it last weekend, I've actually now finished the series and I will say all nine parts of it were very good. Um, don't know if I retained anything from the series itself other than Dolly Parton now features pretty heavily on my Spotify playlists. So uh, if anybody here has any interest in Dolly Parton's music, I would highly recommend Dolly Parton's America. And just one more shout out to Dolly. She's been a longtime fan of Mops and Moe's. I know she listens every week. So Dolly, thank you for your work. Uh, Alex, I'll turn it over to you now. Now, to... before before you even turn it over, I want to say we missed a huge opportunity in that episode because we used Dolly Parton as an intro to a reading list episode and did not even mention Dolly, Parton's, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, um, book yeah. gifting program that mails free books to children from birth until they begin school. I'm one for two on um, signing up for that. One for two? Yeah, I went to the... We went to the um, some festival up the road at one of the towns down the street from us, Carthage, North Carolina, okay. if anyone's familiar. Um, and they had the table out for Dolly Parton's thing. And at the time, I think my daughter was maybe two, maybe a little maybe a little younger. And we were pumped. We were like, heck yeah, we'll sign up. Cool. Lady was super sweet. Never got a book. So I was like, mm -hmm. I don't think she signed us up. So a few months ago, went to the website, signed up myself. Um, signed my daughter up by myself. I didn't sign myself up for this. Um, and sure enough, we got a book. So thanks, Dolly. Hey, thanks, Dolly, for the book. I heard that um, she's given away so many books they could circumnavigate the world like, I don't know, two or three times, something like that. A lot of books. That's a lot of books. So anyway, who are we talking to this week? We are talking to Lieutenant Colonel Timothy Benedict. He is currently an associate professor in the Baylor University Keller Army Community Hospital Division I Sports Physical Therapy Fellowship at the United States Military Academy, West Point, New York. He's also the chief of the physical therapy department there. After graduating from West Point in 2002, Colonel Benedict commissioned as an infantry officer in the U.S. Army. Immediately following graduation from Ranger School, he joined the 173rd Airborne Brigade in Vicenza, Italy, and deployed to Iraq as a rifle platoon leader, 2003-2004 timeframe. Then Afghanistan as a company executive officer in the 2005-2006 timeframe. He graduated from the Army Baylor Physical Therapy Program in 2009 and was assigned to 3rd Brigade 25th Infantry in Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, and snagged another deployment, this time to Afghanistan, in 2011-2012. Colonel Benedict graduated from the University of Kentucky with a PhD in Rehabilitation Sciences after completing a randomized controlled trial implementing pain neuroscience education for service members with low back pain and post-traumatic stress in 2018. Since obtaining his PhD, Tim has taught and researched about the neuroscience of pain and resilience. And our conversation with him today is going to be a little bit more on the resilience end of that spectrum, although I am sure pain is certainly involved in the process here. We will be discussing some research that we've shared on the social media pages before, but uh, predictors of success at Ranger School. And I'm looking through some of the numbers that we pulled from that study, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, but interesting findings. Uh, junior enlisted, 66% success rate. Officers was 53 Senior enlisted was 48%. And we dive into some of that type of stuff. Age is a big factor there. Age is a big factor. Combat versus non-combat jobs was basically equal, which I thought was was interesting. Pose representing. I love it. <laughs> I think one of the reasons why we had him on, or I, I guess one of the, 
I don't know, trigger warnings maybe? I don't Free Ranger didn't change the graduation the graduation rate. I don't know if you want to hit on that really quickly before we open it up, but um Yeah, I think that's a core part of our conversation here. I'll kind of leave most of the discussion of that to the episode, but I will do a little disclaimer up front. You will hear Colonel Benedict mention First Sergeant Fillion several times. Uh, that is because we gave him the heads up before he came on that we were planning to follow this up with a conversation with First Sergeant Fillion, who has been on the podcast before. Highly recommend that episode if you missed it. But it seems like Ranger Regiment's pre-Ranger stuff is much more successful at preparing people for Ranger School and also involves a lot less PT. Now, maybe they have an advantage there because they pre-select people with fitness as a big requirement. Who knows? But we are going to follow this up with a more practically oriented conversation in a future episode to talk about what we can do to improve the effectiveness of pre-Ranger courses. Yeah, so enjoy this one and uh, stay tuned for that one. The one starting question I wanted to ask is, uh, were any of the authors of this range of graduates? Uh, I was. Fantastic. I was yeah. hoping that would be his comeback. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's Ask exactly me. what I'm looking for. <laughs> it, it helps provide context to some of these. And I, I think we told you as we were setting this up that we're planning to kind of do a follow-up of like practical yeah, I'm, implications I'm on so this one. Happy so that just happened. That was awesome. Yeah, no, no I do. I, th I think... I think it'll be interesting. So, and that's one of the challenges of doing research is you want to try to not be biased at all. You want to totally neutral. And so this is a really interesting, but, but really fascinating study for me to be, I mean, literally as I'm going through these data and the results and my mind is just, you know, it's just walking through memory lane of, of going <laughs> through myself. And so uh, it was a pretty neat study for sure. How long after you had graduated Ranger school, did you, did this happen, this study? Yeah, so I graduated Ranger School 2003. I graduated West Point 2002. So it, it's, it has been a while for sure. Did you find that uh, did the findings check out with your own experiences? I do think that the results are, are consistent with what most people would think. You know, there's, there's no huge surprises on here. Mm -hmm. I do think maybe I was surprised about grit I think we'll probably discuss that, just that concept, that construct, and maybe why as we continue this this discussion. Mm -hmm. So that that was a a little surprising. Um, it's still though it it was somewhat different between graduates and those who did not graduate. Uh, and so I think that people know. People would tell you, of course, you got to show up in good good shape. You know, listening to what first sergeant said and and that uh, that video that he shared too. I mean, all of these instructors are talking about how important mental toughness is. So that that's a given. Mm -hmm. And and of course, fitness is is hugely important. So really, those those top two things are are very consistent with other literature as well, and and well known just among uh, among people who go through these courses or army culture, fitness culture. And so I don't think there was major surprises, but I also do think that we found some things that will for sure instigate future research, instigate lots of good discussions and conversations that that I, I do think are enlightening and new. So before, because I know there's like a, a million different rabbit holes we want to go down. And for folks listening to this that have not seen the paper, can you maybe walk through sort of what you guys, I guess one, what you were looking for, and then two, you know, the methods, how you set it up, and then we'll dive into some of the findings. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, the study was done back in 2015 and 2016. And that was when uh, the first, that's when Ranger School opened up to women, women participants. And so there was a lot of interest in there. And the original aim, uh, my predecessor, before I came to the Army Public Health Center, which is where we did the study, this research from, she was interested in looking at, uh, first of all, just ranger instructor culture and how, how the integration uh, went initially. Um, but then also, could we find any, any, any factors that would predict who got injured? We did think that injury, musculoskeletal injury, would, would be a major discriminator between those who graduated and those who didn't. Uh, and so that that was probably the the main focus initially, 
let's collect this, these data that we think, these characteristics that we think would predict those who would get injured. Hmm. And then let's see if that then has an effect on their ability to successfully graduate or not. That was kind of the reason why we did this study. Uh, and, and so the first thing that I did is went through all of these uh, potential characteristics that might or may, might not predict who got injured and then who would get, um, who would graduate in. But first, just a real interesting thing that I found is that almost nothing predicted who got injured or not. And that was a big surprise because this is a very, uh, very physically demanding school. And I think the likelihood for getting hurt uh, in this training course is pretty high. Um, but I also think that it, just as I've been thinking through it, um, you know, when it comes to who gets injured or not, well, I, I remember looking through some of the result sheets and there were about five soldiers who were struck by lightning, right? So it's like, <laughs> oh, shoot, I know this class. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if how physically fit you are. It doesn't matter how how yeah. much you know, resilient you are. There's a lot of times when it comes to injury, it, it, it truly is just a matter of a rock being in the wrong place, the weather report, you know, geospatial luck, frankly. So uh, that, that was kind of the initial setup. Um, and then I, I'd be glad to dive into methods unless you want to uh, ask any further questions. Let's let's go. Let's go through it. Unless, Alex, you want to do it differently. But I'm thinking let's just go through it and then we'll we'll sort of dive into different areas. Yeah. My my first question I want to ask is a methods question. So I'll let you. Lay okay. it out first. Yeah. So basically, the first thing that we would that we did is we compared the basic characteristics of those who successfully graduated range school and those who failed to graduate, those who failed to meet the standards. And in many ways, this would be like taking the the stats, the average stats for uh, NCAA champions, so Michigan. And you know, on average, what was, you know, over the course of their season, how many first downs did they make? How many passing yards per game? How many rushing guards? And then we do the same for the second place team. So um, looking at the Washington Huskies, what were their stats? And, and we do a basic comparison to see if there's any, any meaning to how the Michigan um, mm. Wolverines played and how the, the Washington Huskies played. And, and so we broke those different characteristics down between successful graduates and those who didn't graduate. And we found some differences. But it's really important to do some statistical uh, leveling the playing field because just so what what will happen if we focus too much just on these differences uh, between the two teams? Uh, well, we might want to say, okay, let's look at, uh, I'm not 100% certain, but Division II, the South, da South Dakota State, you know, they, they also have an undefeated record. And if we were to pull up their stats on some of their stats, they would actually be superior to, uh, to Michigan. And so if you're just looking at averages, you would say, oh, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe South Dakota State uh, has a, an argument for being the number two nation, number two team, or maybe they should have been playing Michigan and, and the finals, right? Uh, but obviously, we know that it, they're completely different playing fields. And so statistically, what we have to do, we have to adjust these data uh, to make it equal between characteristics and truly try to find out, you know, what individual characteristics are most important, mathematically at least, for being able to predict. I'm impressed that you were just able to pull out an undefeated Division II football team. That was... Uh... Because I don't, yes. think, I don't think I could name a Division two football team. But anyway, I digress. I'll ask a quick methods question, and this is this is all the way back up in like data collection and setting up the study. You had you had eight hundred and twelve out of nine hundred fifty eight eligible Ranger candidates volunteer to participate in the study, but then you only actually got data for six hundred and seventy. Is is there anything we should know about like what that delta what was it just like people like out processed and didn't fill out their questionnaire on the way out or what what explains that? difference between number of people who volunteered and number of people you actually got data from? Yeah, that that's a good question. I, I think for our important comparisons, then 
Um, we had to, that number includes those who had meaningful data that could make a comparison between those who graduated and those who didn't. So there was a, a certain number of people who uh, had, had been recycled. And so they're actually, they're technically still in the queue. If we had cut off the, the final data collection a little bit longer, they might've mm-hmm. come in. Uh, there were some people who, um, who left without giving that injury report or final closeout report, you know, things got kind of busy as they're out processing. So there's a number of reasons that, um, and I I think overall, just from uh, personally doing, conducting some research where, um, where there are quite a few dropouts throughout data collection, I'm pretty satisfied with the representative nature of this sample that we got. Given that, I have. I just kind of want to lay out and make sure I read this correctly and have a, like a few of the key stats because I think I mean, yeah. a lot of people listening to this probably won't actually read through the whole paper and I want to lay out some of it so that the rest of the conversation kind of makes sense. Um, you already stated that this was 2015-2016 Ranger classes. A lot um, of lightning. A lot of lightning it, storms going yeah, on. Yeah, a lot of lightning going on. Um, mm-hmm. Just to clarify for people who are listening, that means it was under APFT standards. You have some of the discussion about what the ACFT means and all of this, but this was under APFT standards. 2.8% of the students were women. So there were definitely women in the sample, but much, much smaller number, obviously, than men. And you can correct me on any of the following numbers here. Uh, 41.5% of male candidates graduated. uh, 15.8% of female candidates graduated. One I found interesting, the highest graduation rate was among junior enlisted at 66%, followed by officers at 53%, followed by senior enlisted at 48%. I don't think we're necessarily going to dive into that, but the audience can make of it what they will. Definitely an age factor in there. Um, Interestingly, uh, combat versus non-combat MOSs didn't seem to make much of a difference at all in graduation rates. Um, I found that a little bit interesting. And then... One we're definitely going to talk about is that whether or not they attended a pre-ranger course also did not seem to change the graduation rate either. Yeah. Even though I would think that that is kind of the intent of pre-ranger courses. (laughs) And then uh, last one for summarizing some of the data here, rucking frequency, distance, and weight were all lower among people who graduated, as was running volume. But despite that, they were faster on the tests of those things. I think there's, I don't know if we're ready to dive into this conversation yet. This might be going down a rabbit hole really aggressively, but <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's like a correlation and causation conversation to have there. Um, I wonder if the people who were doing more rucking and running right, exactly, in their yeah. train up were doing it because they were worried about those things. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So like that's a whole, I don't know if we can like draw conclusions about how to program for people who are preparing for ranger school as much as just understand like predispositions of people who are more likely to graduate. Definitely really important and tricky thing to, to discuss. So, uh, yep. I think you summarized well, I, I want to point out some of the, the challenges again, and this is, this is research. This is getting technical a bit, but when it came to some of these factors like rank, and whether it was combat, uh, MOS or not, um, n- none of those factors were statistically significant, um, meaning, yeah, it does look like a little bit better mm-hmm. success with the junior enlisted. Um, but that also, again, just could be, I, I think the, the biggest thing to, to highlight are, okay, age is important, but then as well, the percent of ranger qualified that that was a characteristic. I think that was the biggest surprise that I came away with of how important that is and why I make that comparison with division one football and division two, because, and this is why I think it'll be great that uh, for Sergeant Billion, we'll be able to have another discussion about this because those guys truly are a completely different animal. You know, you, a private who is 18, 19, who's coming post rasp who's coming from the rangers where all his buddies are tabbed where they've been doing this type of training whether it's tactical training or whether it's physical training they are different and and so that's why i think a lot of these things that on the unadjusted 
when we just compare stats from those who graduated with those who didn't, we look at it and we think, oh, well, you know, that's, that's, this means we have to ruck less. This means we should, you know, run less or, or do things differently. But the truth is, mm-hmm. I think what is, what is moving most of this is how many, uh, how many of these people that are providing this useful data are from Ranger units compared to other ascending units. Um, because when we do that adjust adjustment, when we try to make it a level playing field, we find out that those factors are no longer that important. How much you wreck, how how many, you know, how much time you're spending in the weight room. But whether or not you came from a ranger unit is highly predictive and, and is highly important. So I think that's the main difference to think about. Um, but moving on to your your question about um, the pre-ranger uh training courses as well as just how they train i i do think that we don't know yet and i think that more research could could help us understand this is what with what were fitness levels before and after these training programs what were self-efficacy levels before and after these training programs Um, and then truly diving in more since this was this was really just a uh, aha discovery that I made after going through uh, the results of how important it was to come from a ranger unit versus a regular unit. Um, and so really figuring out what they do differently, how are these soldiers differently different? Uh, I think that will be pretty enlightening to, to answer some of these questions about what's the optimal level. Just for just for some context for people and kind of a question on my part, you you did not technically differentiate between like, are you from Ranger Regiment or not in here? The data point you looked at was percentage yes, of yes. people in the unit they came from that are Ranger qualified. And so that that can like slide across different types of units. You're obviously going to see more Ranger qualified people in Ranger Regiment, but there are also variations in percent of Ranger qualified people among conventional units as well. Um, so I think yeah. that speaks to a conversation we'll probably have here about culture and things like that of a unit being like, based on your analysis, it seems like the culture is more important than any of the like physical fitness. Very I would imagine there's like a, a peer pressure, you know, piece of it too. Right. I mean, I, I, I and this is me as a civilian, but I know that there's situations you could be in, especially as an officer, I would imagine where if you, if you fail, that's kind of a career ender in a way right so that's i absolutely believe it's culture and i believe that uh a peer positive peer pressure and accountability Mm -hmm. i do think those things are important and so sure i do think that the training that they do and the pre-selection process they are they're getting very competent and physically fit um but also then confident uh, mean indicating you know high self-efficacy and mm-hmm. and so i do think that uh, that culture is is really important mm-hmm. officers uh to get into the ranger regiment different range of battalions you know they uh i think you have to you do have to successfully graduate before you get there and then for the enlisted folks once you get sent they basically tell mm-hmm. you, you know, don't come back if you don't have the tab. And truly, you know, if you if you don't, if you don't graduate, you're going to find a different unit to go into. And so, um, completely agree that they've got um, they've got some extra mm-hmm. motivation to get them through that course. I don't know how you could ever really tease this out, but I'm just curious. In this type of environment, you know, you've got all these these students showing up. It's it, you know early on, first day of Ranger School you give them this survey, how do you ensure that you're getting an accurate self-assessment? Because I would imagine if someone's asking me about self-efficacy and how much did I train and all these kinds of things, like, yeah, maybe I'll be honest, but maybe also in the back of my head, I'm thinking maybe this is part of, you know, the whole crucible I'm going through and I want to sort of not, you know, make up statistics, but I guess the question simply put is like, how do you ensure accuracy in a survey for these kinds of environments? Yeah, that's such a great question. There's this concept called faking good, and you know it 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 makes sense. And and people, <laughs> generally speaking, and I imagine people yeah. who are wanting to show up, first of all, they're they're already 
you know, highly selected, very motivated individuals that are going to this course. If you're volunteering to go to ranger school, then you're, you're probably slightly different than just the average test taker to begin with. But so I, I completely agree. These people, you know, mm-hmm. they, they want to put forward a very strong and confident appearance. And so it, it truly is there, there are, there are techniques statistically where you can insert in questions that kind of, you know, get at our people just checking the highest block on all of them. Um, there, there are ways that you can reverse code some of the questions. So we did not get that technical and we do not have the ability to truly distinguish, you know, are these, mm-hmm. are these the actual true results that reflect their psychological state or not? Uh, that is just a limitation that we have. Uh, other studies, again, we, we just had to make a decision with how much we can ask because just like you said, there's a lot on their plate and, you know, our, our study is very low in importance compared mm-hmm. to all the training that the RIs need to put these, uh, these ranger students through. So it's a, it's a great point. And I think too, this would be a good time to highlight why grit didn't seem to predict the outcomes once we adjusted for everything mm-hmm. else um, and maybe get into self-efficacy a little bit as well. But um, it, it's kind of interesting with grit because the way that it's written and, and grit, there's two kind of there's two components of grit. Um, and first of all, just when you hear grit, you think you think mental toughness. You know, we we describe people. Oh yeah, they're they're gritty. They're tough. You know, David Goggins. He's uh, he he's got grit. But then when you complete the questionnaire, it, it's basically what it's getting at is a, a person who has high levels of grit they're in some ways almost inflexible. So they have a goal, they have a way of doing things, and they are going to stick to that method. They're going to stick to that, you know, that choice of either profession or hobby or like, or in this case, you know, ranger school, almost regardless. And, and again, in some ways, Yes, you need to have that. I'm I am not leaving Ranger School until I graduate, until I get the tap. Um, but on the other hand, if you're not psychologically flexible, if you're not getting feedback from your peers or from the Ranger instructors who have graded you and are telling you, "Hey, um, you need to change these aspects of your patrols," you know, then then maybe grit is not a positive in that sense you actually do need to be able to adjust fire and and say okay you know i am i can't just stick to this one way of doing things this whole time and expect to be successful so that that's one aspect of that Uh, when it comes to Mm -hmm. self-efficacy we asked it across several different scales so you know your self-efficacy for ruck marching for graded patrols, lane navigation, the initial physical fitness assessment. So I think we gave enough options where, and we didn't see results where everyone was just like, oh yeah, five out of five, I'm completely confident in every single domain. I think there's enough variability in the data mm-hmm. that we got, the results that we got that that people, you know, if I was going through it, I, I for sure, you know, I would have marked, you know, I was worried about the push-ups, you know, that was kind of like the horror story. And, and I just had a, I'm mentoring a, a colleague who, yeah, he, they, um, he, he's a fit guy, but they said he didn't do the right amount of push-ups. So, um, so I, I do think that people would be honest enough and say, yep, there, there are parts of this that I'm feeling pretty good about other parts, not so much. Um, and then we try to just kind of take a, a, a global composite of all of those things and say, you know, did this, factors seem to be important. I was just going to say, I just want to make sure of some stuff because I just want, I basically just want to make sure my understanding of the lay of the land and these like psychological variables is correct. Um, so grit is non-task specific, essentially measuring like degree of commitment generally. And then self-efficacy is task specific, not quite synonymous with confidence, but effectively it is how confident are you at a specific thing. And then 
just to make sure I'm getting it right, because I've read some stuff about this before. Um, grit is pretty right. new to the space of researching yeah. psychological variables. It's Angela Duckworth's kind of pet thing. Um, not a lot of research on it before the late 2000s. Um, I've definitely seen some people criticize whether or not it is like even really an independent construct or whether it's just derivative of self-efficacy. Just I'm I'm just trying in my head to kind of like yeah. understand where those two things fit together and how much confidence we have in each. Yeah, these are really good questions. And and again, I think I think the biggest challenge is we understand that there is something to this concept of mental toughness. Like there's no question about that. And that goes back to again some of your earlier episodes with mm-hmm. Um, with first sergeant filling in and, uh, but how do we measure that? How do we, you know, how do we measure mental toughness? Is it resilience? Is it grit? Is it uh, hard hardiness, you know, mental hardiness? So uh, those are all uh, important pieces of the pie, important facets of looking at this construct that we can't, you know, we can't truly measure, um, mental toughness in the same way that we can measure a two mile run or a deadlift, you know, and just get a very quanti- quantifiable number that we can attach to, to those contracts of physical fitness. Um, but I think you summarize well, grit is, it is general, just generally speaking, um, how much you persevere and how much you stay consistent with your interests. And then self-efficacy is, is, specifically towards domains now there there are general self-efficacy scales um, but our ours was specific for the different tasks that i had mentioned earlier so i think you really do um have a good understanding of, of what these different constructs are sorry i'm just trying to i'm trying to shake out a few of these things the the self-efficacy thing leads directly into a conversation about the the pre-ranger part of this whole thing because mm. you guys made some points in your paper about uh like pre-rangers should be or at least based on this data pre-ranger is likely to be more effective if it's optimized for increasing student self-efficacy and i did like i shared the link to this article on our social media page when it first came out and got some interesting feedback from a few different people um and some of it was just like pre-ranger at my unit is not intended to prepare you for ranger school. It's intended to be a gate that you have to get through to make it to ranger school. And in some ways yeah. it's designed arguably to decrease self-efficacy to like, to force you to like question your, like yeah. whether you can make it through something yeah. like this. Like some of them are intentionally made harder than ranger in certain ways and things like that. And I, I kind of wonder about, like what your thoughts are on that based on the data showing that pre-rangers generally speaking, don't seem to increase graduation rates. Yeah. Really good point. And I'm glad that discussion was going on. People are thinking critically about this. And and so I do, and this is where I have to anecdotally step away from my research and just say, you know, this is what I saw. So I remember showing up and, and hearing about a lot of these folks who had gone through a pre-ranger program almost right before ranger school. And so mm-hmm. from my perspective, they were almost coming in broken. Like they were, they were beat down, you know, you, exactly like you said, they had units who had, you know, they, they wanted to prove, Hey, I got a tab. I got to show you, you know, I'm, I'm not you know, badge protectors maybe in some, mm-hmm. in some degree. And so absolutely you have a lot of units that probably run suboptimal pre-ranger training programs that intentionally break people down. And, and it is challenging. I, I just read a really fascinating study about Navy SEALs. And what they found is that Navy SEALs start off with, they overshoot their confidence in terms of grit and psychological resilience and then it dips once they show up at buds and start to get broken down and then gradually gets built back up. So it is, it's important. Their, their, their argument from the study was that um, for elite courses like this, we need to prepare like the, the seals, they were highly fit and completely prepared physically for these tasks, but they believed that perhaps mentally they were not. 
And, and that's, it's difficult. It is difficult to accomplish some amount of hardening, some amount of, of gatekeeping. Hey, do you really want to go through this course? Are, are you sure that you are prepared for what you're going to face? And so there's there's some merit for you know having some type of crucible events that that do expose you to the limitations, um, but I also think that physical fitness itself, you know, working out, I mean that's one of the the best ways to increase mental toughness because you're basically, you know, every single time you step out on that work that workout, uh, you have to develop the motivation. Uh, to not quit and to make it farther than you did previously. And so I, I still think that it's, you can't disentangle the two, like psychological health and mental toughness is so important. Um, but so is physical fitness and, and they both synergistically work together. So, I, you know, I don't know if we can truly say which came first and how do we optimize, you know, all, all things said, you know, we want people who are both, physically fit and mentally hardy. Um, and, and I think that we can develop either workout programs or pre-ranger programs that work together with, with those two things. And they're all, all the while, you know, the potential ranger student is getting built up and understanding that absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right amount of physical fitness to mentally prepare me for a long course, which is really you know, I love it. Just look it up on their website. It, it basically says prolonged, low, in, low intensity, you know, physical activity. And that's really what it is. It's just a, it, it's endurance. And so that, that's another part where when one of the more important physical factors was aerobic fitness, two mile mm -hmm. run times, you know, that's, that's, again, that's pretty consistent. And uh, I think that's one of those things that um, Emma Paula said. Yeah, we, we if you're preparing for ranger school, get used to that endurance. Um, spend a lot of time doing doing activities, but it, it also is really important to to make sure that we help people find the Goldilocks principle. You know, you don't want to do too much mm -hmm. because there might not be that much value to it. You're not going to get your bang for your buck. Did you guys get any of that or have you gotten any of that? I, I suppose off of the back end of this type of research, because I would imagine that this is one of those things where people would see it. And then the immediate follow on question would be like, okay, well, can we, you know, select for these things? Could we canvas a, you know, a, a, a company of soldiers, a battalion of soldiers and, and say, you're good, you're not good. And, and quote unquote train for, you know, Ranger school, given that they fit a certain box that you might've teased out in the research. Have you been, has that led to any of this? No, uh, it has not, not to me personally. Um, and again, I think since this is a lot of these factors were consistent with what is, what has also been published in special operations mm -hmm. and predicting, um, ranger assessment, uh, selection program. So, uh, many of the things are, are similar. And so I don't think that this would influence policy per, per se, I do think it'd be interesting with more data, you know, as, as we are, um, everyone is becoming more aware uh, about artificial intelligence and machine learning. I clearly think that there are some more advanced techniques that might get to that point of, hey, yeah, you, you put in, you know, your age, your rank, your fitness scores, maybe take a few psychological scales. Um, again, those are limited because of the faking good, but I bet we would get to the point where, you know, just we could come up with a single scale from zero to 100% mm -hmm. that would do a decent job of predicting the likelihood um, of, of you succeeding if everything else stayed equal and constant. But um, I'm kind of glad that we're not there yet. I'm glad that didn't exist when I was a student because they probably would have <laughs> said, oh, you're not going to make it. Let's not, you know, let's not waste your time uh, sending you there. So, um, I do, yeah, I think it's important. I also think it's, I, in some ways I'm, I'm glad that we're not there just because, you know, human beings are, you know, we're not static and, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful that we have the potential to grow. Um, and you know, we, there's, there's things of, uh, there, there really is, there are instances of, of luck, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of my, my ranger buddy who, you know, we were both on the 240 Bravo 
and mountain phase. Um, he's breaking it down, disassembling to move on to our next patrol base. And, you know, a blank, a blank round uh, gets in the chamber and it has a negligent discharge. And so he gets recycled. Like I'd, I had done that same thing, same technique as he did. Like what, you know, man, just everything kind of convoluted at a really bad time for him. And that happened. And, and you can say, the same thing positively like my my, my uh um, last patrol in bending phase or more phase the initial patrol phase now um you know the the ri it was his last patrol his last graded patrol so he ended up handing all of us m&ms our squad m&ms you know he was like all right guys you know way to go this is your this is my last time here um who knows i i probably should have failed that that patrol, <laughs> but I got lucky on the positive in there. So yeah, there, there's lots, so much that goes into trying to predict human behavior. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, even though we're getting better and better at it, th- thankfully we're still human. Um, thankfully there's still a need for making real time, you know, decisions under stress, um, that, uh, you know, that, that need more, more research and, and more encouragement too. Well, it's funny as you're sitting here talking about, some future space where we're predicting i'm imagining ai cycling through a bunch of people and you send them and then they just get struck by lightning which clearly happens quite a bit (laughs) at ranger school um but i do so maybe backing up a little bit to just provide a little bit of background here but in the introduction you guys do a pretty comprehensive lit review looking at some of the previous research in this space and i'm just curious if we could take a minute to sort of talk about what maybe what had already been teased out or what they had already seen in the past when they kind of looked at a similar problem set. Cause I know Ranger school is something that has been investigated for, you know, since it's incarnation. Yep. And so I think one of the most consistent things that not too surprising, it had been done um, several times in Ranger school is fitness. So those who had the higher fitness scores, whether that was, two mile run time um their fitness tests have have evolved over time but generally speaking push-ups and sit-ups to some degree they've been performing those for you know 30 40 years and sure enough those who have the highest performance on those generally would graduate at higher levels so that's not too surprising and then in the special operator special operations community Similar things. One of the biggest predictors of those who successfully graduate are, are those who are more fit, those who perform well at the physically demanding tests. Um, but again, just kind of like Alex, you were saying, these new constructs of both grit and resilience and hardiness, uh, those have started to be sprinkled in. And on the one hand, it's difficult to give a comprehensive panel of of how each of those constructs contribute to success with these types of physically and and arduous programs because we use different scales you know some studies use grit some studies use self-efficacy and some use uh, hardiness Um, but i i think we can still be confident that even though they're different scales again they're trying to capture some piece and and you just the limitations of you know how many questions you ask a a tired soldier who's been up at since probably didn't sleep at all the night before if we're, if we're being realistic. So mm-hmm. I think that the, the best, you know, that's the best we can make with what is currently out there is that they are important. Um, I think what we really have to figure out and I hinted at this a little bit earlier is what is the relationship between the physical fitness and the psychological hardiness. I, I think that would be very valuable to figure out, you know, which comes first or how do they synergistically, you know, interact with each other. Um, I think that's where the, the future needs to take us. But I do just want to highlight, you know, one other study that uh, was probably most similar to ours, and that was Beal from 2010. Mm-hmm. And and they looked at SFAS, so Special Forces um, Selection, and, and they found similarly, but they, they found grit did make some, uh, did contribute a little bit. But again, similar to what we found, once you start combining for all the other factors, it seemed to be less important as well as the baseline fitness. So I, I, hopefully that does a, a broad enough mm-hmm. 
job of, of capturing what you're asking. No, for sure. A few of the things you mentioned made me think about this. You, you refer back to Emma's episode and you talked about more physically fit people, more likely to graduate. Shout out, and, Emma. And first, I want to make sure. So as I understood it from your data, two mile runtime was predictive of yep. graduation likelihood. Yeah. Um, now, if if I'm reading the data correctly, even the people who failed were still pretty fast. The way, Where I'm going with this is that since your study, we have transitioned from the APFT to the ACFT. The ACFT has lower standards for aerobic endurance. Um, even, even the average runtime of the people who failed Ranger School was fast enough to max the ACFT. That's based on my reading your data. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But do we do we think that a reduced focus on aerobic capacity might lead to problems with ranger school? Or do we think that might be mitigated by something you weren't really able to study because you had to base yours on APFT scores? Do we think better assessments of strength or power or anything else like that might make up for the difference in expectations of aerobic capacity? This is a really good question that we've, we've debated a lot within physical therapy because so... Um, my former, uh, the former director at the West Point Sports Medicine Fellowship, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Crowell, he was a graduate as well. Um, and, and so we, we've been surprised, like on the one hand, cadets are way smarter now in terms of just how to program and, and they're doing much better in terms of, of periodization and, and weightlifting and hitting all the components of fitness that, that are important. Um, but the one thing that we would just get shocked at when we would survey, you know, cadets coming through our physical therapy clinic, you know, we'd ask someone when's the last or how often do you run? And they're like, Oh man, you know, I haven't run in, in months. And we, you know, we were just like, wait a minute, <laughs> like you haven't run. And, and it's not a small, it's not a small subset. It seems to be a substantial one where there, where there really are running quite less. So on the one hand, yes, we have positively affected uh, physical fitness culture by getting people into the gym, but I, yeah, I don't know how that has affected aerobic fitness and willingness to go out there and run willingness to put your body under prolonged repetitive stresses. And, uh, and because consistently, um, and Dr. Jones, who's at the Army Public Health Center, he's a titan in injury prevention literature. You know, we, he would he he would consistently say that, you know, how often, on a day to day basis or at Ranger School, does someone truly need to do a one rep a one rep max lift? It's it's very rare. But on the other hand, you need to have the physical fitness to take step after step, and and sometimes even just you know, being in an upright position under a, a low load, your body has to be able to withstand that day after day. Uh, so I, I do agree with you. I think that I would be interested to see if we can kind of tease out long-term what might be the, the, the effects of, of this pendulum swinging the other way away from running. I think that's a great point. Talking about running, I mean, and this is something that we have literally, I think, since like the first, second, or maybe third episode, the sort of the debate about, you know, our tactical athletes, endurance athletes, or strength power athletes. And I think what's interesting and what, kind of what I've seen at, at ground level is that with the way that the ACFT is conducted, you see a lot of folks maybe thinking that they are training more of a kind of endurancey type thing, but really they're just, you know, a handful of intervals to sort of drop their two mile time. I don't think folks have a really good grasp on what true endurance training for something like Ranger school looks like, because like you said, it's, it's not just competency at like a two mile distance or even a five mile distance. It's the ability to put one foot in front of the other for an extended period of time. So I'm with you. I'm curious to see what the conversation around endurance training looks like as we introduce much more of a strength power maybe mindset into the military with these kind of i mean i hate to use the buzzword but like functional fitness tests pt tests Mm -hmm. 
no question there. That's just me riffing and having a monologue because I love having that discussion all the time. It seems to trigger a lot of people for some weird reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree. I want to ask you a question related to all of that. And it, it's maybe semantic, but it's terminology that I think is interesting. I think as a physical therapist, it's very relevant for you. Um, in, in the intro to the paper, you mentioned like the definition of resilience being the ability to positively adapt in the face of extreme stress and still accomplish military objectives. But then you, then you use a different term a little bit later, which was physiologic resilience. Mm. And I think that's kind of like the Holy grail of like exercise is to make you more physiologically resilient, more able to tolerate stresses put on your body, whatever they mm -hmm. may be. Is physiologic resilience a measurable thing, or do we just always have to come at it indirectly by assuming that certain types of fitness contribute to physiologic resilience? And like, how do how do we explore that concept? Because I think that's what's like, especially since you started this as an investigation of injury risk prediction. Yeah, I think that's kind of at the heart of it. Yeah, and it it, it is a really interesting concept. There there are a couple of ways. So heart rate variability is one that comes to mind. Um, and, and essentially, you know, what heart rate variability does is, is, uh, again, um, if you take exercise, for instance, uh, exercise is a stressor. And when you have a stressor, you want your body to adapt. You want to have stress hormones. You want to increase your heart rate and increase, you know, glucose going into your powerful muscles. So, um, you know, stress is not a bad thing. Stress response is not a bad thing, but, the ability to turn it on at appropriate times and then the ability to turn it off is very important. So one limitation, a lot of things that we've started to do within physiologic research is take biomarkers of, of stress hormones. And so these are important things to start to look at. But again, uh, we're at this point, I think we're getting better. At this point, we're limited. You know, we can't just, uh, you know, take a take an operator or a range of students blood, you know, run it through a panel and then say, Oh yeah, you have met positive, you know, you're, you're resilient, you're making it, you're going to likely succeed in this course. Um, we're just not there yet because it's so complex, so complex. Again, it, it's the, the ability to turn it off at the right time, but then also turn it off and different people respond to different curves. So on the one hand, you know, you might have someone who you, you take their biomarkers and it looks like they're, oh man, this, this guy's got way too much stress. But if you were to take it a couple weeks down the road, um, he's actually, that was good for him. He, he, his body was, you know, using those stress hormones to um, make neuroplastic and make tissue changes that in the long term would make that, uh, that soldier more fit, more resilient. So I do think that there's some interesting ways that they're starting to look at ratios and they're starting to look at like this slope over time. I think that's what will tell us more important information than just a draw at one point. But I, I really do agree that our goal is that adaptation, that tissue adaptation. You know, we want tissues to positively adapt to the load that we're doing it so that, you know, down the road, it will be able to have even greater capacity than our current time. Mm -hmm. What would you there's a series of questions that we always ask or always tend to ask uh, folks that we have on to discuss research. And, and one of those would be, what was something that surprised you in the findings? I mean, I would assume going into this, you kind of, as a graduate yourself, had in the back of your mind, like, I think we'll probably see X, Y, and Z. But was there anything that came out of the out of the numbers that sort of surprised you? I, I was surprised that injury did not play a role in whether you graduated or not. Again, Is that previous injury before you started the course or getting injured? In no, the like during in okay. the course, during okay. the course. And, and part of that too, I, and, and again, this was maybe my bias going into it, but you know, I, I know, um, I, I injured my knee, injured both Achilles, you know, running those boots. So it was, again, it was funny hearing uh, Emma talk about, um, her Nike boots, boots have come a long way. I, I wish, like, I wish we had Nike boots back in my day. <laughs> back then, yeah. So, <laughs> but I, my thought was that Ranger School will give you an opportunity to drop out, and and one way that that I thought would discriminate is, yeah, you know, you, you got an injury. I'm not really motivated to try to 
endure through this whole course with this hurt knee or hurt back or whatever you may you may find. So I was surprised by that. I think generally speaking, since since across military literature, age is is typically associated with maturity and again more you would think more more training, more self-efficacy. So that's a little bit of a surprise to see how especially since you know on average we're talking about pretty young students to begin with mm-hmm. again just anecdotally kind of it, it does also make sense physiologically that you know just as you know, as we get older your ability to cope with the stress of sleep deprivation and caloric deprivation and, and just body you know not having the same fitness um, I, I just i remember this uh this exchange officer that we had, he was from Mongolia. He went through our infantry officer basic course training together. And this guy was a really good officer. Again, he was hand selected from his army to come and do this training, but he was older. He was in his forties. And I remember just one night, like at, we, it was a rough night um, in ranger school. Now uh, it had rained all day. We lost one, one of our squad mates to uh, he had hypothermia. So he got, he backed out. It kind of shut down training, let us build a fire. And he was just kind of like chasing people off away from the fire with, with the, with the fire brand. Um, you, you can tell, like, it makes sense as our bodies age, that mm. sleep deprivation really takes a hit and, and toll on it. So uh, the more that I thought about it, that made sense. Um, but again, I think the biggest surprise is just how important it is that these units that uh, the Ranger units uh, having, you know, having that, that role model, having that accountability, um, how important that was. That was the most important factor from, uh, at least according to the way that we uh, analyze these results. So I want to ask a question for the people, because I know <laughs> as, as, you know, as deep into this type of thing as we like to get, anytime anybody listens to these sorts of episodes, we always get questions of like, okay, so like, what should I do? And so, this is a bit of a thought experiment, but make believe. But if you were given sort of, you know, design the ideal ranger school candidate in a lab, top to bottom, what would that look like for you? He or she? Yeah, I think first of all, having the right mindset. So, you know, if we want to talk about mental toughness, someone who is in this, and I tell, I tell the cadets who I'm mentoring here, I tell people who anyone is, is interested you know, when, when you show up, you basically let all your loved ones know, uh, I'm not coming back until I graduate. And and that really, you know, it's not, ranger school is not a testament of how smart you are, how great of a leader you are. Um, and and I'm, I'm evidence of that. So uh, <laughs> I was, I was not the best, you know, tactical leader by any means. But what ranger school does is, is it, it helps you to, um, to, demonstrate your ability to endure. And, and so if you go in there with that mindset to begin with, that as long as this takes, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it through. I'm going to graduate. Then I think that will, that will capture that mental toughness or resilience construct that, that we find important in the special operations community. Uh, obviously you want to come in really good fitness, but mm-hmm. again, not to the point of, of developing overuse injuries. So find that, you know, and whatever fitness program you do follow, Find one that makes sense to you. Find one that um, that builds your confidence and your ability to do more than you're currently doing. Because mm-hmm. there's tons of great programs out there. I don't think we found the best one yet. But what I think what my literature shows is that it's not just the fitness. It's also how confident are you in that fitness program. So if you're showing up and you're thinking, oh, man, I should have done this. I should have done that. That's going to have a big toll on your uh, general on, on your self-efficacy for all the other tasks versus, Hey, even if this wasn't the the best, you know, best program that I could find, I know it was right for me. Mm-hmm. I know that it improved my fitness and got me to a level to endure on these, these movements. So, uh, and then finally, you know, since self-efficacy was important, um, if I, like, if I could do this over again, it, it, they're all open book tests like they tell you before you even show up they they post the ranger handbook they tell you what the graded patrols are going to be on so you know start studying start if i um 
I, I think that we don't, uh, we don't like accountability. Generally speaking, as humans, you know, we don't like people uh, calling us out. We don't like to appear like we don't know what we're doing. So when I was going through it, through IOBC and the Jeff officer basic course, I would, if I could go back, I would say, Hey, you know, platoon trainer, let me lead this patrol, please. You know, give me more opportunities because the more chances you get to practice those tactics um, with your peers pointing out the things you're doing wrong, the better you're going to be. I, I still, I remember um, Matt basic. Uh, he was my ranger buddy. And at some point, halfway through mountains, he was like, Hey man, you know, he, he called me out on my attitude and, and I'm so thankful that he did. Like we need that accountability. We need people look who are willing to look at us and say, Hey, um, so, and that goes into what our results showed is the units that had that type of positive peer pressure. Hey, don't come back unless you get your tab. You know, I would pick a few people that are going to ask you those, those hard questions that will say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to check in on you. You, you are, don't come home or don't come to your next unit, you know, eliminate all excuses and have someone that will hold you accountable and say, I want you to, even if you have to recycle three, four times, do it all over again, do it, you know, make, give me your word that you are going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that hits the, uh, the main points that our results showed uh, as well as just uh, again, personal, personal experiences. And, and I'm sure um, a lot of this resonates with what you guys talk to when you work with these tackle athletes. And it helps to be young and enlisted as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I think too, that enlisted component again, you know, is, is probably that they're coming from the Ranger unit, but certainly mm -hmm. better to do it younger than older. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take this one. This is very similar to the last question, but I think the way I'm going to spin it will start pointing us towards the follow-up episode because you know we're already about to plan like another discussion about how do we implement this in a practical way in units so that's that's kind of what i want to ask you is drew's question was as an individual going into this what should you do to prepare mine is for leaders at organizations that want to send people that want to set them up for success that might be in a position to shape what their pre-ranger looks like or what their requirements to go are in general what would you suggest for those folks based on the data you've collected here? Yeah, I, I think, I think the different mindset should be, I would say less, let me break you down and try to try to show you, you know, that, that you don't belong at Ranger school or, or try to, uh, you know, let, let me scare the heck out of you and and uh and break you down so i think less of that and more if, if you do it incrementally if you design those challenges in a smart way then you can be just as tough you can have this almost you know the same physical tasks and maybe even in some ways just the a surprise element that does introduce some psychological challenge there but do it in a way to where it builds them up so where they gain confidence they said oh wow yeah I, um a month ago, I could not have done this, but because of the training that I've had and because of the coaching afterwards and the feedback that helped me understand how I can improve in these events, I think that would set people up for much better success. Hmm. So I just want to underline what he said there, because it's kind of a theme that has come up, not just with Ranger School stuff, but with fitness in the military in general. There's a temptation to beat people over the head with the standard because it is the standard. And I don't think that's necessarily productive in a lot of settings. And what we've advocated for here is meet people where they are, mm. chart a path with them that gets them to the standard. Like this is the difference. And I've been guilty of this. I was definitely guilty of this as a lieutenant and a young captain and stuff like that. You, you have the slow guy in your unit and they kind of just get abused. Like nobody necessarily walks them through a sustainable program to become fast. You mm. just get crushed all the time and we're seeing the same kind of phenomenon here of units seem to design their pre-rangers as a way to show people they're not good enough rather than figure out how good somebody currently is and create a plan to get them to not just good enough but above and beyond that yeah yeah or maybe you know now that i'm thinking about it too 
because there is, you know, there is a, a dark side of a lot of these contracts. Like I said, um, if you're, if you have too much grit, then maybe you're not flexible enough to adapt like you need to. If you have too much self-efficacy, well, uh, research does show that in some tasks, in some instances, if you have lower self-efficacy, you're going to try harder. You're going to train more because you realize, oh man, I, I'm not where I need to be. But when it comes to the unit, maybe you have some of those reality checks early on in the program so if you do want to you know have some type of event some crucible event that opens people's eyes to what is potentially coming in ranger school then maybe do that early on but then give them the tools that say hey this is what happened now i'm going to give you a training plan that's where if you had to do this again you would smoke it you would ace it you do really good before we let you go, I want to ask sort of a question for you as a researcher, given that this is now out there, what sort of future directions are you looking to go with the similar line of questioning or are you, you know, done with Ranger school? We're looking, we're looking somewhere else. Yeah. Some of what we've done, uh, we've started asking this, these same, similar type of questions, whether it's uh cadet showing up for cadet basic training. In fact, um, Brian Kreisel, you know, he, he did a study Got up, Brian. <laughs> and he's uh, working on getting that, he's working on getting that published. Um, but, uh, so we, we asked, you know, how confident are you in making it through this training if you were injured or not? Um, and, and so that, that's the kind of, that's the construct that we're interested in. Again, you, we can't control the rock, the lightning, other types of things, but <laughs> can we, can we predict or can we understand how the mindset going into that might affect your willingness to endure despite being injured to, you know, successfully rehabilitate and get back into the fight that that's the area that we're really interested in. Nice. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on and talk to us again. We'll, we'll have all of the information about the paper in the intro. So we really appreciate one, the work that you've done. And then two, I mean, it sounds like the exciting work that you guys are going to be doing. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. As a, it was an honor as well as just really fun, you know, listening to some of the episodes uh, on your podcast. So I, I enjoyed it. I'm impressed. I'm just impressed that you you listen. Not everybody does that. They just sort of pop in and then they pop out. <laughs> uh, it's good stuff. You, you get a lot of episodes, so it's going to take me a while to, to catch up completely. But. Hey, Alex, let's cover our ass real quick. Oh, great idea, Drew. All right, guys. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Before you go, please rate and review the pod on the listening platform of your choice. You can also visit us on our website at www.mopsinmos.com. That's mops, the letter in, mos.com. You can check out the library of podcast episodes, our latest blog entries, any helpful resources, and also sign up for our newsletter. Drew nailed it. Just to underline a couple of things, the podcast entries have in-depth show notes on the website. So if you missed anything or you want to read any of the research we talk about, it is all there. You can, at the bottom of the website, sign up with your email and receive future updates from us. The blog posts go a little bit more in depth and kind of written form on a couple of topics we get questions about all the time. But most importantly, I just want to ask all you guys, our best way the word gets out is absolutely word of mouth. So tell your friends, tell the people you work with, anybody you think would find it useful. Thanks for spreading the word. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email at either Drew or Alex at mopsandmos.com. Or there's a contact form on the website. Thank you.